Christ is risen. Well done. <laughs> I, was, I was actually expecting that. <laughs> and that's great that you can hear that. Because that's why we're here today. We're here because Christ is risen. And he's risen indeed. And that's why we worship on Sunday. Actually every week. Not just today. Every week. That's why the early church fathers changed the worship from Saturday to Sunday. Um, but before we do that... And before we look at the passage, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we stand in awe of the resurrection. And today we ask that you would open our eyes, our ears, so that we can hear and understand. But Father, help us to not just understand, but by the power of your Spirit, help us to believe. And Father, we pray this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure, but I think you probably have heard that phrase before, dead men don't rise. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a non-Christian home, and I believed that for more than 30 years. Maybe a bit less than that, because as a toddler, you normally don't believe that much. But um, I still remember one day, must have been I think I must have been around 12 years old and uh, must have been the time when uh, just around when my grandfather died and I was standing at the kitchen window in my parents place and I was looking outside and suddenly I something dawned on me you know I was I was looking at these trees outside we have these um, huge oak trees in our front yard and while I was looking at them I realized that um, one day I will die that one day I will be gone. And these trees, they will probably be still there, but I will be gone. And all that's left of me will be that fading memory. And even that will be gone one day. And then all that's left is basically nothing. And there was this strong feeling of emptiness that came over me. A feeling that is um, very hard to describe. We have a word in German for it. It's called Vergänglichkeit. And I looked at I had to look it up, and I think um, the English word that captures it best is um, evanescence, probably. It's, um, if it was a taste, I would probably say, um, I would describe it as um, the bitter taste of death. Um, and it was combined with an overall sadness and heaviness in that moment. Because I realized I will be gone. The sense of I, the voice talking in my head, the, this body I have, will be just there for the worms, food for worms. And it will be gone because dead men don't rise. And so, what if that is true? What if dead men don't rise? Because let's face it, um, if we don't rise, the future for all of us, the future for all of our bodies in this room will be fertilizer. What a hopeless future that is. And some of the Corinthians to whom the passage was um, addressed, they believed something very similar. In verse 12, Paul tells us they denied the resurrection of the body. They believe that what we experience now with our bodies 
is as good as it gets. And after that comes death, the grave, the worms, decay. And that's it. They believed in a sort of afterlife, yes, but that wouldn't include their bodies because they were influenced by the Greeks and they thought that the body is sort of like a prison for the soul. And there are many today who still believe something very similar. But what if the body, what, 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 what if there is no bodily resurrection? If that is true, I actually have to ask you a question. Why are you here today? <laughs> because if dead men don't rise, that has some serious implications for you and me. Because as Paul says, if dead men don't rise, that means Christ is not risen. That means our faith, your faith and mine, is useless. Our hope for the future is in vain because we are still stuck in our sins. Christ is a dead Messiah. His blood shed on the cross was nothing special at all. It means your husband, your child, your loved ones, all of them who died in faith, they are gone. They have perished. There's no hope for them. And not only that, if dead men don't rise, if Christ hasn't been raised, it makes all preachers, including me, liars. We would have to relabel KPC and put a big sign out there which says, Jehovah's False Witnesses, because we would be misrepresenting God. In fact, millions of Christians around the world are most to be pitied if dead men don't rise. That's what Paul says. Because what we are doing right now here would be an utter waste of time. You see, Christianity stands and falls with the risen Christ. If dead men don't rise, if Christ wasn't raised, that means you have already wasted so much of your life. Because think about it. As an average Christian, you come to church every Sunday, two hours gone. You go to growth group during the week, another two hours gone. And if you have come to church for the last 10 years, and considering you're sleeping eight hours a day, I did the math, I'm a bit weird, but if, if that man don't rise and you have come the last 10 years, you have wasted a total of 130 days of your life already. And that doesn't even include Bible reading or prayer. If dead men don't rise, you shouldn't be here right now. You should be out at Somerset Dam or at the beach, have some fun. Because as Paul says in verse 32, if dead men don't rise, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's get the most out of this life. Live life to the fullest. That would be the logical consequence. But before you leave the church service right now, Hear me out, because if you're sitting here today and you have doubts and you think dead men don't rise, I actually agree with you to some extent. I actually agree because I haven't seen one recently. I haven't heard of a person, for me a man who rose from the dead. And if you look at uh, religious leaders, it's the same thing. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Mohammed is dead. And so I agree that dead men don't normally rise. But you see, Jesus Christ is not a mere man. 
Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And he did indeed rise from the dead. And so we have to flip it around. We don't start with the dead, but we have to start with this one single man who came back who rose. And we have to start with Christ. We have to see what he has done and who he is. And then it becomes clear that dead men do, in fact, rise. Because then the question, there is no question about it. Because Christ is risen, we here who believe in him will also be raised to glory. Because he defeated death and was raised to glory. But you might say, well, this is all Nice and well said, but how do we know that Christ has been raised from the dead? How do we know that for sure? And that's already our second point, because Paul gives us the answer to that. But before we go to Paul, let me ask you this question. Imagine someone comes to you, and he asks you that same question. He says, how do you know Christ was raised from the dead? What's your best answer? What would you say to that person? What would you say? I think in our day and age of information and technology and science, many of us would jump and try to give evidence. Evidence from history, evidence from people who are credible, evidence from ChatGP, evidence from archaeology, evidence from reason, evidence from science. And everyone would be happy as long as we don't give evidence from the Bible. Because we don't do that, right? That's a circular argument. You can't do that because you don't try, you can't prove the Bible by using the Bible. You don't do that. That's a fallacy. But you know what? That's exactly what Paul is doing. Paul doesn't, he starts his whole argument of the resurrection with what? He starts with Scripture. He starts with the Gospel. He starts with truth. Listen to this. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this Gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received... I pass on to you as of first importance, and now listen to this, there it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul doesn't say, okay, let's pretend Jesus never raised and let's try to find some answers outside of the Bible. Now that's not how he starts. Paul starts with the gospel. He goes back to the Old Testament scriptures to make his point. He says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was dead. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, Christ fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies about him, more than a hundred of them, <laughs> hundreds of them, on the cross and by his resurrection. So imagine that person comes to you and he says, what's your best argument? How, wh why should I believe that Christ rose from the dead? What's your best shot? And then you say to that person, because God says so. They will laugh at you. 
they will laugh at you. They will say, what kind of argument is that? It's a fallacy. That is foolishness. Because God says so? Is that all you've got? But you know what? It's only laughable and it's only a fallacy if a person is so foolish to reduce God to a mere human being. It's only foolishness if you create a God of your own imagination. Because I tell you what, if you stick with the God of the Bible, with the God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, the God who is infinite in wisdom and knowledge, the very source of knowledge, eternal, unchangeable, the God who transcends our little finite human minds, if you stick with him, the question becomes, what other answer do you want? How did we know? How do we know Christ rose from the dead? Because God said so. Because he promised it. Because he is faithful. He is God. What better witness can you possibly have than the creator of the universe who revealed in this very book here, in this book, which is infallible, a book where every word is breathed out of God, by God. A book which is profitable for teaching, for reprieve, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I tell you what, I will not give this foundation away in any argument. This is the best we have. This is the sword of the Holy Spirit. Which soldier would lay down his weapon in a fight? If you do that... The fight is over. There is no argument anymore. So don't be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And Paul knew this. And that's why he tackles this false preaching that dead people don't rise, first and foremost, with the gospel. With the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. That he did die for our sins. And therein lies the whole argument. The foundation for his whole argument. But then, and only then, he starts to give us evidence. And as I think, really good evidence for the resurrection in addition to the gospel. In verses 5 to 11, he gives us two, at least two stunning evidences. The first the evidence of eyewitnesses and the second is the evidence of Paul himself so let's look at the eyewitnesses Paul tells us that there were more than 500 eyewitnesses including the apostles who saw Jesus after his resurrection you know eyewitnesses are the most reliable source in a court case most of them were still alive at that time in 55 AD when that letter was written so Paul says to his readers, go there, have a chat with them, <laughs> ask them what they saw. And you know what they will say? Do, do you think Paul, sorry, do you think Peter will say, oh, you know, on the third day, we went to the tomb and it was empty. And we did the mass and, and, and we realized empty tomb? Well, that means Christ is risen. So let's start the Easter celebrations. That's not how it happened. That's not what happened. The faith of the early church was not built on an empty tomb. 
They believe because the risen Christ appeared to them. He appeared to more than 500 at one time. You can't fake that. And did you know that because of all these eyewitnesses, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually the best recorded event in all of ancient history? There's nothing that comes even close to it. Even secular historians, secular historians, they agree that these eyewitnesses must have seen something. Something must have happened to them. That's secular historians saying that. And here is a very interesting point. When we look at the evidence, how this event, what they saw, how it affected them, especially Jesus' closest followers, his inner circle, his apostles, remember, they abandoned him at the cross, right? But after the resurrection, what happened? Well, Peter became this great leader of the early church, but in the end, he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. Andrew, crucified. James, killed. Philip, crucified. Thomas, stabbed with spears. Paul, beheaded. And the list goes on and on and on. Do you think these men died for a dead Messiah? Someone whose bones are rotten in the grave? They didn't die for a dead Messiah. They didn't die for a fairy tale. They died for the risen Lord of glory. They died as martyrs for their faith. They died because they knew that after death comes glory. They died because they knew they would be with their risen Lord. These are the eyewitnesses. But there's one more. There's Paul himself. And his astonishing testimony. He says of himself, I am the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. A Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was a man of authority. This was a man of rank, a man who was used to, give, to giving orders to people. But he was also a man who lived in open hostility against God and Christians. This was a man who, was, who despised Christianity. This was a man who ordered the killings of Christians. This was a man who wanted to destroy the early church. And so what happened to him? How did he become the great Apostle Paul? How did he become the man who wrote two-thirds of your New Testament? Well, I'll tell you how. He had an encounter. He had a divine encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And it changed him forever. Seeing the risen Lord in an instant, it humbled him. It led him to faith, to repentance. And the whole life of him changed. By the grace of God, he started to work harder than anyone else, but not for himself. No, now he had a new purpose in life, a new direction to live for his Lord. Why? Because now he had hope. Hope for the life to come. Hope for his own resurrection. You see, God broke Paul's heart of stone. And he gave him a new heart that was full of love, joy, and zeal for the Lord. What a change 
from Saul to Paul. And what a comfort for us, too, to look at it. Because are you like me? Do you have relatives or friends who are not saved? Or are you sitting here today and you think, I'm just not good enough for God? Well, let me tell you, God has a message for you this morning. He says, look at Paul. There isn't any person in this room here at KPC right now who is too fallen, too sinful. In fact, there is not any person in the entire world who is too depraved for God. No matter how hard the hearts of stone of anyone, no matter how great your sins, your shame, your guilt, God says, my mercy is more. My love is greater. There's not one heart that I cannot change. I can change anyone. That is our God. And he says, look around you in this room. All of you have come to me. All of you who have come to me. All of you needed a heart transplant. All of you were spiritually dead at one point. But I raised you spiritually. I gave you life, new life in Christ. And that's the first resurrection right there. But he says there's a second one coming. When I will raise your bodies out of this grave. And so if, if you haven't come to God, he says to you, I can give you life as well. Come to me. Come to me this morning. But he says, I expect you to come broken. I expect you to come with empty hands. Because I am God and there is nothing you can give me. But you know what? There's also nothing you need to pay. <laughs> because the price has been paid already on that cross by the blood of Jesus. For all who believe. <laughs> you, you, think, you think the resurrection is impossible? You should think about the cross. You know why? Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But this man was sinless. Jesus was sinless. So we should ask ourselves, how is it possible that he could even die? How could he die? Well, I'll tell you how. He took your sins and my sins on himself. That's why he died. Here's a quote from a dead guy. Thomas Watson, a Puritan, he once said, We are more sure to arise out of our graves than we are out of our beds. Now you tell me that the Puritans didn't have humor, but I don't know. Because he's right. The Bible is very clear. We will all die one day. But all of us will rise as well. But unbelievers will rise to judgment and eternal condemnation. A terrible place to spend eternity. But as believers, we will rise to glory and to eternal life with God. 
And so as believers, we long for that day. And like Paul and the others, we don't have to fear death anymore. That bitter taste of death is gone. The feeling of emptiness, gone. Because when you die as a believer, you know what happens? Straight away, you can have assurance that your soul goes to be with the Lord straight away. And when you will be in his presence with, with Christ, you will await the day when your body will join. When you will be raised out of that grave and when there will be this glorious reunion of your body and your soul. And until then, we can shout with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Which brings us to our last point for today, the glorious resurrection of believers. Let me ask you, do you, do you think your bodies right now, they are glorious? If you say yes to that question, I say to you, wait a bit longer. Um, the other day I went, um, I went to the sauna in my fitness club and um, I have to be a bit careful here because this, this story starts like a bad joke. Um, because in the sauna there was an Irishman, there was a Chinese man, there was an Aussie, and there was a German. That was me like a fly on the wall listening to their conversation. And so these old gentlemen, they knew each other and they had a conversation with one another. And it turns out um, the Aussie just got a hip replacement done and he was just released from the Wesley Hospital and he was going on and on about this operation and how it messed up his whole life. But then he said something interesting. He said, the other day I went to this, uh, with this church mob and the ears of the fly on the wall are getting bigger and bigger. And um, he said, I went to their Catholic prayer meetings and um, he said, I tell you what, these people, they are all sick. There was one guy with a knee problem. There was another with a back problem. And so he went on and on and on. And the Irishman said then to him, well, they should pray a bit harder. And, and as the Aussies do, I mean, they all had a laugh, but the Aussies doubled down. And he said, yes, these sinners. And I thought, man, we, should, we could learn so much from that conversation. But you see, um, they're making a good point here. Because, yes, first of all, we are all sinners in the church. And we are all um, liable to the effects of sin and death. No one in this room has a glorious body. And all of us are heading for the grave, this last enemy. And let me tell you, God does not promise you a glorious body in this life. We're praying for healing. And sometimes God graciously grants us healing. But he never promises us a perfect body. At least not in this life. Well, look at the world around you. Look at all these people going to fitness studios, like me. Look at these uh, men in the sauna that I met. Look at your own fragile bodies. Can you see how we all long for this perfect body? How we all long for that day when pain, when suffering, whether physically or mental, when death and grief, when it is all gone? And God does promise us that such a day will come. When you will hear the last trumpet, when you will hear this voice of your Lord in your grave, and all he has to say, all he really has to do is to say one word, and that will be, arise. And up out of the grave you will rise, like he did, with a new and perfect body.
Now, we don't know exactly what this new body will look like, but Paul says to us, you can look at nature. Um, because, and I actually had a seat here, it's, all, it's already fallen down. Because <laughs> look at nature. He says there, there is this seed, and our body is like a seed. It goes into the ground, it dies in the ground, but out of it springs this glorious thing. And I showed this seed to some of you before the service, and I asked you, do you know what this will be like? Do you know even what that seed is? We don't know. We don't know what will come out of it. We can't even imagine, if I just show you the seed, what will come out of it. You see, God is doing so many amazing things in our lives, but we are just getting too used to them, to see the beauty of them. And it's the same with, um, with the seed and our body. When we get to heaven, our bodies will be beautiful with all these heavenly fruits on them. Your body will be made perfect, fit for eternity, fit for an everlasting life. The perishable will take on the imperishable. What is now weak will be raised in power. What is now sown in dishonor will be raised to glory. You know, your body will be like that glorious body of Christ. The body who he has now, right now, sitting in heaven, risen in glory. So to close, I want to come back to these 130 days, supposedly wasted, uh, if dead men don't rise. But on that day when Jesus comes back, when we do get raised, you will realize that these 130 days were the best investment you could ever make. In fact, looking back, you would think, I could have spent so much more time in prayer in my Bible, for my church family. But you know what? On that day, you will not look back anymore. Because on that day, we will all be looking at one thing. We will stand in the awe of God's glory. We will look at Him and what has He has done for us, how He transformed us, how He saved us, and how He defeated even death. And as we will stand side by side, risen from the grave, in the presence of Christ, we will sing this victorious twofold anthem. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And thanks be to God that we can sing that anthem already today here at KPC. Because God has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ who is risen indeed. Amen.